everyone, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today we'll be diving into a film that will soon be celebrating its 10-year anniversary, Oliver Hirschbeagle's 2013 biopic Diana, starring Naomi Watts as Diana, Naveen Andrews as Hasnat Khan, as well as Charles Edwards, Douglas Hodge, and Geraldine James. The film currently boasts a 7% Rotten Tomatoes score, and Naomi Watts won a Raz- or earned herself a Razzie nomination for Worst Actress. But apparently, if you lived in L.A., you liked this movie, because reviewers from both the L.A. Times and L.A. Weekly both gave it positive reviews. So, of course, uh, we had to dive in and check it out ourselves. Joining me, as always, are my two co-hosts. First, our resident expert on the Garden of Love. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, if you can't smell the fragrance in the Garden of Love, don't come in. What is the fragrance in said garden? Uh, how family friendly is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say we don't want to. I would say we don't want to. You know, scar any children. Okay. Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you know what the answer is. <laughs> Okay. Oh my god. Uh, also back with us today, a woman who is the Dwayne Johnson Quartet's uh, biggest fan. It's Carlin Greenwald, but Carlin, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was actually the leader of the quartet, what song do you think he would play? Oh, oh, you're giving both of us hard questions? Oh no. <laughs> I can okay. answer this one. Okay. What's the uh, answer? You're, you're welcome from Moana. Oh, you know what? You're right. And you know what? The Garden of Love smells like. I think it smells like roses. <laughs> That's your a very, PG answer. That is a very family-friendly answer. Okay, as always, if you came here for any sort of factual clarity about the events that transpired in Diana, this is not the place for you because we don't know. Although now we have seen, this is what, our our third depiction of Diana? Am I yes. Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, fourth, I fourth. think. I think we got a oh, yeah. Diana in, in, in whatever love means. Oh, pff, whatever love I forgot we watched that. <laughs> But our third, well, our second depiction of Diana in pretty much these exact events, I feel like our third depiction of Diana around this timeline-ish. It, yeah. Spencer seemed to be a little bit before. Yeah, a little bit before. Similar. So yeah. at this point- Spencer was a prequel to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. At this point, I feel like we have a little bit of an idea of what we're getting into when we dive into this era, but by no means are we historians. So that is not the purpose of this. We're just trying to learn. And you know, what better source material than the 2013 biopic Diana? Uh, Before we, you know, fully dive in, Carlin, could you just give us a quick recap of what we saw here in this movie? Yeah. I mean, again, since we're going over a lot of events, I'm going to try to keep it brief. Basically this takes place in, I think they said the two years before the crash happens that where Diana dies so we start off the story in this in the part where she is sort of very slowly getting divorced, separated from Charles, and doing her media where we have sort of the big blowout. One of her many seems to be big blowout um, TV spots where she reveals a lot of information about her marriage. But for the most part, we're dealing with the storyline of when Diana met um, Pakistani heart surgeon Hazmat Khan, um, again, same as in The Crown, where... They met when her acupuncturist husband was going in for a surgery and she sort of instantly falls for him. And they, he, she kind of has to convince him to date her a little bit. He very clearly lives a very sort of normal um, work-focused life. And she obviously is one of the most famous people in the world at this point. So they go through a lot of sort of trials and error of 
how to evade paparazzi and that kind of thing. But they do end up dating for quite a wh- quite a long time. And then meanwhile, Diana is kind of trying to find what she's going to do with her life post-divorce. And so she spends a lot of time in a particular sort of charity field in which the um, country of Angola, which was at this point, it still had a bunch of landmines from previous conflicts. And basically it makes it so the people can't go on a lot of their land because there's the risk of getting blown up. So there's work to be done to safely remove the landmines. And she is sort of a big face of that. And it was work that she wasn't really encouraged to do when she was with the royal family more officially. But basically, so she's doing that. And then her and Dr. Khan, they break up a few times, but then they sort of finally end things when basically, yeah, he just like doesn't want to deal with the paparazzi and doesn't want to deal with the fact that she is so famous and seems to sort of thrive in the fame despite her trying to say that she wants to escape it. She kind of gets controlling over his life a little bit, even gets him a job in America thinking that they'll both leave together. And so they do end up breaking up and it's around. And so then we get into the Dodi Al-Fayed storyline, where in this movie, they imply that she got with Dodi in order to make Dr. Khan jealous. But of course, as we know, that romance is doomed. And then we sort of get the depiction of Dodi and Diana being chased down by the paparazzi, which ends in the car crash, as we all know. And we then learn that Hazmat Khan is still, still a surgeon and still living his life. Yeah. Um, thanks, Carlin. Ivan, with no context for those who haven't seen the movie are just listening to us to see if it's worth checking in. Did you have a favorite quote from this movie? I mean, I think you 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 we we texted about this uh, prior to the <laughs> recording of this podcast. But my favorite quote was uh, just a timely exclamation of "I am a surgeon" from Doctor Hasnat <laughs> Khan, uh, which uh, you know for for those who aren't as online as. We, we are, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a big memification of that uh, quote uh, based on a scene from The Good Doctor where uh, Freddie Highmore goes on a bit of a tirade and repeatedly uh, proclaims that he's a surgeon. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you, you know, you know, also that meme of like Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like that was me when that scene occurred. <laughs> you mean th- this one? I am a surgeon! <laughs> That's the one, yeah. Uh, yeah, this, uh, yeah, fav- yeah, that's got to be the favorite line. Um, but it's probably not the only out of place line in the film. I'm sure we'll have more to unpack. Yeah, my favorite one, a little bit underrated, I think, in the grand scheme of the movie. But when she first runs into the hospital and she's like, um, where do I go? And then they zoom in on this nurse. Or they, <laughs> she's like, where's the ICU? And the, the nurse has to like think for a second. And then she's like, uh, oh, it's upstairs on your left. <laughs> like she herself forgot the line. Oh my God. And then they just think- zoom in on her for no reason after that, watching Diana go up the stairs. Oh yeah. She's the star. Yeah. I, I like the part where they're having their date at Diana's apartment and he's like, can you make a hamburger? And she just goes, you can't make hamburgers. <laughs> oh, that was a good one, too. I, I got to say, I, I was relieved that this depiction of Diana uses uh, stainless steel cookware. Well, so now what's the relief. truth? <laughs> At least this one's doing uh, less damage. There we go. Okay, so this, like we said, fourth depiction of Diana. Carlin, how did you feel about Naomi Watts as Diana? 
Okay, to be honest, I was... You know where you start to get used to the way that, like, actresses who play Diana, they, like, get the um the tone of her voice, which has this, like, downward... I don't know what the word is, but, like, it has a downward sort of tone or something to it where she sounds sad. This one didn't sound sad, and it really threw me off. <laughs> like, I couldn't, I couldn't hear the specific Diana accent in there where I was kind of like... Is she doing it? I don't really know. It was it was hard. It, I I like couldn't see her as Diana. I kept seeing Naomi Watts was the problem. Where like some of them you like you get enough into it where you're like, oh, this is like this is the character. But I didn't get that from Naomi Watts. Like good try, but I I don't know. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I don't think she leaned as heavy into the voice as some of the other portrayals that we've seen. I feel like uh for the film. They leaned into like the bare feet as like the Diana trademark. They d- they leaned into like a couple things, but nothing that was like specific to Naomi Watts' acting. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you when you consider like comparatively how much personality Kristen Stewart put into her performance, like it, it like I, I've I've mentioned that I think the Elizabeth Debicki performance in The Crown feels more like a really really good imitation rather than like a, a kind of personalized take on Diana, uh, whereas Kristen Stewart I think kind of takes it in a more interesting direction. Naomi Watts isn't doing much at all. Yeah, and so the interesting thing is I feel like Naomi Watts looked like Emma Corrin, and I was like, it's almost like you're doing a sequel to that in the wrong timeline. But then Emma Corrin's depiction was so much better yeah because we don't really get like the soccer mom haircut here like it's not even an accurate look for diana at this time okay i was so confused because i was like (laughs) why does she look like hillary clinton (laughs) oh wow especially in the pantsuits like it felt like i was looking at the wrong person and it must have been the hair um according to imdb jessica chastain was originally cast as diana Oh. No, that that is what IMDb says. Weird. Um, this is a bit of a you know a hypothetical situation, but can hmm. either of you really picture Jessica Chastain as Diana? I no, no. I, I mean, no one really had. Only Elizabeth Debicki had the right face, but I can't see that. <sighs> yeah. You know, Naomi Watts, it's like, she's an interesting actress in the sense that, like, I I do think she's immensely talented and has Mm -hmm. had some pretty standout performances. But she also, at least for my money, has probably one of the worst agents in the industry because (laughs) she has been put into so many bad films where uh, you have, like, a really good performer that has been tarnished by a lot of, like, really, really poor career choices. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, Naomi Watts earned a Razzie Award nomination, but she did not win. She was not the worst actress of 2013. Okay, first of all, it's really me that that's a thing. Like, <laughs> are the Razzies still a thing? They are, indeed. Uh, they still go oh. on today. Fun fact, the year before, Kristen Stewart won a Razzie for the dual performance of Twilight Zone Breaking... Or, sorry, uh, the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2 and Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh, no. And funny enough, in 2021, multiple Razzie Award winner, uh, Diana the Musical. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the Razzie Awards seem like something that were probably, like, really funny and edgy 15 years ago, but, like, there's been so many better ways to satirize and lampoon people's like performances and bad pieces of art that yeah, at this point it, it does feel a little tired. I, I am surprised they're still around. They are still huh. around, but I, I'll, I'll give you each a guess. So 2013, who do you think won worst actress Razzie award? Well, can you give us options? What came out then? What, 2013 you said? Yes. 
and it, and Kristen Stewart won the year before for Breaking Dawn Part One, uh, or Part two? two. Yes. Okay. So it's okay. Did a different YA franchise come out then? Was no, Divergent I really can't give then? you a hint because. <laughs> oh, I don't. Can I look I can... up movies that came out in 2013? <laughs> Yeah, give us give us some broad genre. It was uh, part of a big comedic franchise. Okay. A big. Hmm. Uh, oh, was it uh, was it like one of the Hangover sequels? No. Would uh, you would you would you it, like the answer? It, yeah. Please. The winner of the 2013 Razzie Award for Worst Actress went to Tyler Perry for A Medea Christmas. Oh. Oh, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> excuse that me. Is, that is so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've been discredited now. Yeah. <laughs> like that. I mean, what a what an uninspired choice. Like that's not even like oh, Tyler Perry on. is yes. an actor. <laughs> you can't do that. That's also like yeah. is that vaguely homophobic in some way? That is what happened in the year 2013. Yeah, that there's, makes sense. There's, there's no good interpretation of why they made that choice. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, no. Apparently, there is a European equivalent to the Razzie Awards <laughs> called, like, the Arena Palm d'Or Awards. Well, see, that sounds like you could lie to an American and it would sound like a really good award to win. Wait, but hold on. Tyler Perry has played Medea, like, 15 times at this point. Has he won previously or since? He won since, yes. He character? won twice for his depiction of Medea. He's been nominated for five Razzies. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Wow. As, as worst actress. Oh, all same God. category. Jesus. Yeah, he won. I can't even let women lose. <laughs> no, he won later for Boo, a Medea Halloween 2. Uh, 2. 2. Yes, the, the second Medea Halloween the movie. The second Medea Halloween movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Jesus. Okay. But uh, okay. in the European Diana. versions, uh, oh, I was just going to say, Stephen Jennings, the writer, did win Worst Screenplay, and Naveen Andrews did win Worst Actor, or sorry, Worst Supporting Actor. <laughs> oh uh, my god. Wow. So wow. a lot of Spe- a, okay. a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Naveen Andrews and, and this depiction as of Dr. Khan, I don't know if you two paid attention, but Dr. Khan shows up probably within the first 10 minutes of this film. It is around the 30-minute mark that he is named. Yeah, that's some bad screenwriting where, like, someone should have been like, hey, um, we don't learn the character's name. It's it's another case of, like, they expect the audience to already know the story. And you're like, okay, but it still needs to be good on, like, a basic screenwriting level. Right. And, I mean, I feel like they can probably get away with, you know, assuming the audience knows about Dodie and, and maybe about Dr. Khan. But you also had, like, an entire sort of supporting cast of, like, staff members and you know some either close co- confidants or friends of diana's none of whom were ever established or like kind of clearly like defined by name or function that made me so upset because i was just like i don't know who any of these people are i cannot care about them and it made the movie more boring yeah <laughs> oh, you no, totally pay attention yeah. to like two <laughs> characters that you know yeah i mean we did get so there was uh a couple crown crossovers here. We had Charles Edward, who in this movie plays Patrick Jeffson, her first kind of like, um, I don't know, what is his role? Probably like private secretary. Private secretary, sure. He plays, I think, the original Martin Charteris? No, I guess no, no, the he, second he, Martin Charteris. He, yeah, seen... <laughs> he plays the, the middle-aged one. Middle, yeah. yeah, middle-era Martin Charteris. Apparently, in this movie also, Prasanna Puanaraja, who 
we noted in the crown as Martin Bashir. And I think we noticed that he had this on his credits too. Apparently was yeah. also Martin Bashir here. I don't think we saw him actually. Was it just yeah, voice? He, they, they cut I the man it was, out. It was just voice. And I'm surprised he even got a credit for that. Yeah. So I'm glad actually, now that I've seen this movie, that he got a chance to, you know, fully, <laughs> fully embrace the role. This doesn't really count right. in my mind. Mm -hmm. So you want to know uh, who, who my favorite cast member of this film was though? Sure. Um, so you know how there was a very brief scene where you see uh, William and Harry like getting off a plane and, and being like kind of escorted over to a helicopter um, and they're just kind of there in the background. You, you kind of see them from a distance. Uh, Prince Harry was played by one Harry Holland, who is apparently the brother of Tom Holland. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, what a role. Star, star studded cast. Yeah. Oh my god. That scene was very succession. Getting off one one plane, being escorted to a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird that we I mean, like I understand why we didn't get any Charles in this movie, but it's so weird that the kids were just non-existent. Oh, I know. Like I feel like so much of her legacy is like defined by being a mother. And this was like the opportunity to show that. It was weird. Like, yeah. You couldn't bring those kids in a little more. So did either of you like the film to to any degree? Mm, I not really. Uh, <laughs> I would say uh, no. I I don't want to watch it again. But I don't think it was as bad as like the seven percent Rotten Tomatoes score. Like I was able to get through it, and there were there were moments that were mildly amusing, even if they were not mm -hmm. necessarily historically accurate. So I was not able to get through it uh, initially. <laughs> um, I, I started the film and probably like gave, I gave it a break at about the halfway mark. I think around the time that she gets to Australia because um, I, like, I was watching it with my wife. It was really tedious. And I looked at her and said, like, I do not want us to end our evening this way. Let's watch an episode <laughs> of Never Have I Ever instead. And so we took a break. And we resumed, or actually I resumed uh, by myself the following day and found that the second hour was a lot tighter and a lot more, uh, you know, engrossing than the first one. Because that first half of the film just felt so disjointed and all the scenes in the beginning felt like really short and like they weren't really manifesting into anything. It just felt so aimless. And then, you know, Dr. Khan showed up and like it was just one of the flattest romances I've ever seen on screen. Yeah, this this was something else. But but what I found so perplexing about this film, it's like, first of all, it looks 10 years older than it actually is. Like it came out in 2013. It looks like it came out in 2003 or before. But what's really bizarre about that is like it's clearly not a low budget film. Like all those places that they uh, shot like on location, like it could not have been cheap to go to like Italy and, and to, you know, kind of the Adriatic coast and, and, you know, Pakistan and like all, like how, like, how is it that a film where they were able to do so much on location shooting just ends up looking like shit in the end? Yeah. I'm I feel like there was another example of that happening really recently and I don't know what it was, but it was probably on HBO, but yeah, no, it's remarkable. Like the best part was looking at the pretty scenery. <laughs> Ivan, do you think any of that, what, how much of that do you think was the quality of the movie versus the fact that you had already seen the first half of the movie before? And the second half was mostly stuff that it will cover, it seems, you know, in this upcoming season of The Crown. Oh, I mean, that's a good point. Uh, well, it's interesting, though, because I feel like 
the crown uh sort of suggests that their relationship ends a lot sooner because i i remember Mm -hmm. him kind of tapping out around the time of the bbc interview and just kind of going like uh this is a little too much for me um and it just sort of fizzles out from there but this uh you know depiction suggests that they were trying to make it work for for quite some time after that so it, it goes it doesn't quite go actually like beyond the crown too much so much as it sort of introduces this additional narrative that the crown either omitted or uh, perhaps this film made up. Yeah. Oh, man. And which is it? <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah, I feel like this movie dove into some things, I guess, that probably happened. I don't know. For example, the um, also there's the trip that she takes to Pakistan. We didn't see that in the crown either. Which and that was monumental too, because that that scene not only uh, you know served as a kind of uh, you know to, to, it not only served to further along the plot uh, of like her and Hasnat, but it also introduced like a really interesting piece of lore, which is that uh, Uncle Dicky was apparently instrumental in influencing the partition of British India. And like as soon as that happened, it like woke me up. I was like, whoa, we're we're getting some knowledge bombs here. Oh, I know. That was wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that I feel like goes to show on some degree how serious Diana is about this, which I feel like we don't really get in The Crown. And The Crown, I feel like, does per- portray this relationship more as kind of like a fleeting romance. Unless mm-hmm. we think we're going to see Dr. Khan reemerge somewhere in season six, but it feels unlikely. Doubtful. Because C- season, season five ended like, what, weeks before? The, the you know Paris so there's really not much time is there yeah no honestly I thought this movie was gonna be a Dodie movie because if you were going by like the crown timeline and then when he was still there it was like oh wait they didn't break up well it's funny because the movie opens with like her and Dodie walking down a you know hotel hallway and then suddenly it you know flashes back to before that uh, but yeah it does set a really weird tone because Everything that happens around Dodie does feel very disconnected from from Hasnath. And 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 like you said, Carlin, I think this movie uh, sort of uh, puts forward uh, this uh, narrative that she was getting with Dodie to make Dr. Khan jealous, um, which, like, again, something that we never would have picked. Well, I, maybe we will pick up on that in The Crown. You're like, we don't know because they haven't really shown that yet. But yeah, in the crown, it seemed like, you know, by that time, Hasnat was already well out of her mind. So yeah, I don't know what to believe anymore. Um, the other thing that this movie showed, I thought that the crown hasn't shown really is, or hasn't shown to the same kind of degree, is Diana's relationship to the paparazzi. Obviously, it's a bigger part of this movie because we see that whole storyline play out. I imagine, you know, it'll pick up in season six of the crown. But the one thing that I found interesting was that Diana seems to have her own personal relationships with members of the press um, to the point where she even like hijacks uh, one of the paparazzi members phone calls with his boss and then later ends up telling that boss, here's where you can get exclusive pictures of me. I found that to be a little strange. That actually kind of makes sense. I feel like I've heard of celebrities doing that. Like that's just kind of a thing. The phone call was a little much though. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Because she doesn't seem like the kind of person who would do that. Like, doesn't she always seem kind of like, not shy, but like not quite as brazen? I don't know. It was a little far-fetched. That said, it was one of the better scenes of the film, and I did (laughs) like it. (laughs) (laughs) You can't have both in character and good. 
All right, imagine you're getting a heart surgery and you have a special guest for your heart surgery. It's Princess Diana. Is this okay? I, I don't know. Is that okay? <laughs> it, yeah. I, well, I mean, would she have been there for the entire thing? Because, I mean, that surgery probably took hours upon hours. So yeah, did she not. just kind of like pop in and be like, okay, cool. I'm bored now. See you tomorrow. Well, I think the average, yeah. <laughs> I feel like anyone who isn't a surgeon or like a medical student would get bored very quickly. Yeah. And we don't, we don't see that moment where she's just like, all right, this was cool. Thanks. <laughs> Could you imagine if they showed that? <laughs> no, they want us to think that she's so in love that she would sit there and watch him do like a 15-hour surgery. Speaking of which, his explanation of like how time doesn't exist while he's performing surgery, that was uh, that was something. Yeah, I mean, I guess. He, I don't know. He doesn't perform the operation. The operation performs him. It felt a little like a kinky crown nominee the way Diana was interpreting that. But... <laughs> <laughs> She was making a face. Oh my god. I mean, I feel like both depictions of Diana, they were like weirdly really turned on by their hasnots talking about surgery, which like I guess we love someone enough. You're like, yeah, you yeah. reach into bodies. But then you've also got like Diana very much uh like expressing some bizarre fascination with the medical world. Like, you know, quote, when I visit hospitals, I get excited. Oh, I always inter I interpreted that as like her being excited to like do her charity work it's always very unclear like her motivation behind all that work but now yeah, i guess i'll say she enjoys it but <laughs> i wonder if she does like the hospital's best yeah speaking of her charity work the landmine storyline felt a little misplaced um in the grand yeah. scheme of the movie because this definitely felt like it was more like a romantic drama that was kind mm -hmm. of the purpose of the movie and yet in the middle they insert a scene where Diana walks through a field of landmines. It's, it's, it was unclear to me whether or not there were actually landmines in that field or not. <laughs> I don't think um, so. <laughs> it, it honestly, I mean, it, this might be a weird thing to say, but like it honestly kind of felt like a save the cat moment for, oh. for this version of Diana, mm. where like the movie does outside of the, you know, like just the romance she has with Hasnot, the movie doesn't really present us with much of a reason to like like her or empathize with her. Mm -hmm. So I, I think they threw in a lot of the humanitarian stuff just to give us a reason to root for her with, within oh. the context of this film, at least. That makes so much sense because there was that one moment in the second half where she like hugs that, um, that grieving woman who had lost, I think, a child in yes. the, with landmines. And it was like... Wait, why is this here? Because like we know she's done that before, and I think the Crown used it really effectively. And I think season four, right? But but in the Crown, we also yeah. had plenty of reason to yeah. already like Di Diana before yeah. that. Whereas this very like flat, you know, sort of unelectric version of Diana, yeah. there's just like, why would we care about what happens with her and Hasnot? Like, who is she to us? And I think a lot of the humanitarian stuff was like really, really emphasized here just to give us some reason to see her as the hero of the story yeah i'd also imagined it was like they were like oh people are expecting to like see diana's life as they remember it's like they remember the landmines they're like oh we gotta put in the landmines guys but but like honestly like the flip side is like i'm very intrigued by assuming all of this happened exactly as depicted why there's little to none of it in the more recent episodes of the crown 
Like <laughs> considering like how, you know, at oftentimes dull season five of The Crown was, there was a lot in here that I think, again, assuming it's all true, like would have been very much worth depicting. I will say I did feel like a lot of the the scenes that showed Diana in a more compassionate light in this movie felt a little disingenuous. It always felt like a photo op first in a way that I feel like the crown did a better job of balancing like this is her personality versus this is a photo op. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like the crown gave us so much more than just like the 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 you know humanitarian sort of PR media tour like she's a real person in the crown whereas here uh, we in many ways mostly just see her through Hasnat's eyes. Mhm. I guess the core of this movie, which we haven't really talked about, is the relationship aspect of it. Did Wait, did we, we feel like there was? It? Well, I, I, did we feel like there was chemistry here between no, this no, Diana and this Hazmat? No, absolutely not. And and it's really weird because like, you know, the actor who played Hasnat in The Crown was you know like it was a perfectly competent performance, but you know nothing that you know swept like like there there were some like you know very intimate and and kind of like fiery moments, but you know it wasn't heartbreaking when he went away. Uh, meanwhile, you know you have Naveen Andrews who you know is otherwise extremely charming and charismatic, and you know loved him as Saeed on Lost. I was expecting big things from him here, and like he fell way flatter than the Crown version of Doctor Khan. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to figure out why I wasn't rooting for them. And I had thought it was a structural problem where like, you know how in most romances and rom-coms, there's like, a, there's beats where like, you establish each person as they are, they have the meet cute, like, and this just didn't have those beats because it started with the weird frame narrative around her death. And it seemed like it was going to be like a slow march toward that. And then it wasn't. But you're right. There also was no chemistry. <laughs> I actually felt like Naveen Andrews tried to do a good job. I just felt like he didn't have a lot to work with. And I feel like the also, the other problem was that, and I think Carlin, you mentioned this before, like they hit the same beats so many times. Like they broke up and got back together, what, three times? It was a lot. So many times over the course of the movie. So at, at some point it did start to feel a little repetitive. Yeah. Or just like you couldn't understand why one time was worse than the other. Like why this was the one that ended things. And it was always, and it was always because essentially of the same reason. Like every time he was like, I'm a private person. I don't like my life being so public. And then he's like, oh, but I love you. Very strange. Very, yeah. Very strange. And it's like, okay, but the core problem still exists. Like that is not going to, to change ever. All right. What else haven't we talked about? At one point, Diana goes to New York City to donate her wardrobe to the AIDS crisis. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I don't even remember that scene at this point. <laughs> yeah. She kept calling it like cleaning out her closet, like trying to use very like humble wording like too oh, much right. to where we're all like no like this is you clean you know this is you giving away like thousands upon thousand dollar gowns <laughs> like yeah. yeah i mean this diana just did not come off well yeah i i swear and i i don't know if it's the writing or naomi or both probably both i would say the writing yeah. probably a little bit more but yeah i mean you can only work with so much i agree this movie apparently was based on a book um, any desire to read said book? <laughs> I feel like I, I've listened to a podcast that talked about this book and it's more, I think it's more interesting. Than this. <laughs> I've already seen the movie now. Yeah. So yeah, that's fair. To... Let's cut to the Italy part of this, the post has part of this. 
So she agrees to go on a trip with Dodie to Sardinia. From the boat, she calls Jason Frazier, the member of the press that we mentioned earlier, and she said, she's here and she loves foxes. I don't know what that code meant. Uh, mm, <laughs> no, I don't know. Oh, wait, but there was there was some other reference to oh because didn't she say something to like Dodie about like i'm very fond of foxes and he asks why and she's like oh they're like me uh you know we've all escaped from the windsors oh well. okay is that is that connected is Probably. that it could be. does that even make sense <laughs> i mean it kind of doesn't because it's saying she loves herself uh, speaking uh, speaking of Dodie, by the way like uh, and again, like we haven't seen too much of Dodie in the crowd just because, you know, the Fiads were only featured in really what two episodes. This version of Dodie, like, kind of has the mannerisms more of his father than the kind of like more mild mannered, sort of like, you know, very polite Dodie from the crown. That's interesting because I didn't, I didn't necessarily, like, I guess Dodie was mild mannered in the crown, but I keep thinking of him doing the cocaine in the plane. And I'm like, yeah. Right. He's a very, like, polite coke addict. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But, I mean, he's also, like, he's also not going to not spend time on his yacht, you know? Like, yeah. he has money, and he's going to do his his fancy trips and all that kind of stuff. See, now now I'm just so curious to kind of, like, get, uh, you know, this next season of The Crown, because, like, it, it's weird that Crown Season 5 ended with Dodie proposing to his girlfriend, and... It's like July at this point. And, you know, again, Paris is happening toward the end of August. And we are, you know, within the narrative of the show, weeks away from, you know, Dodie proposing to his girlfriend and somehow, you know, kind of having this fling with Diana. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But even from the boat, Diana is calling Dr. Khan and saying, you know, please call me. I don't know. It really doesn't give it being the movie much, uh, much care to Dodie at all as a character. Oh, no. Well, he's not much of a character here. He He's more of a plot device. Exactly. There's this metaphor throughout um, the movie of this dream that Diana has where in the beginning she's falling and no one can catch her. And at the end, she thinks that maybe the point is not that no one can catch her, that she's flying. But that doesn't really jive with the fact that she keeps asking Hasnat Khan to reconsider their relationship. Like if she's flying and she's an independent woman, then why does she need someone to catch her? I don't I don't really understand that dialogue. I didn't get why that was there at all. <laughs> well, also, if she's calling him toward the end of the movie, like desperately reaching out while in parallel, like, you know, getting the paparazzi to take photos of her uh, to make him jealous. Th those kind of seem like two conflicting strategies. Like she's trying simultaneously <laughs> to kind of like reach out and appeal to him, but also to kind of scorn him and make him jealous. Well, so I thought that she just didn't understand that if he wants to be a private person, the way to win back a private person is not to show yourself, to show that you're more famous, that you could, <laughs> if you wanted to, get like jealousy thirst photos from the paparazzi in Italy. And, and, and that's why I don't really buy this kind of like prolonged version of their relationship. Like, again, I, I don't know what really happened, but my educated guess would be something a little closer to the crown version yeah no i it just doesn't it doesn't make sense i don't think it seems like if that's your hard limit like you would hit that really fast because i was even thinking about like there's a certain tragedy that's being highlighted here that's not really gone into about how if she had lived like she really wouldn't have been able to like i wonder if she would have ever stopped being famous and like 
hoarded by those crowds and stuff like that. Like, yeah, like she couldn't fix that. That's like the one thing about herself. Like she couldn't make that go away. Yeah, I mean, she'd be dating Pete Davidson by now. <laughs> Someone made a meme about that once. And I was like, uh, yeah, maybe. That kind They're of not wrong. Sense. They're not wrong. <laughs> okay, so... Paparazzi find them on the boat. Longest zoom lens I think I've ever seen. Oh, I know. Uh, that thing was massive. <laughs> it looks like a sniper rifle. Like, it was <laughs> it was huge. But it is a really cool photo. Like, I mean, I've seen, the, like, the, you know, the real-life version of that photo with kind of just, like, that uh, that depth. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is it is a stunning photograph of her just kind of, like, sitting on the diving board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he must have known he had that spot. Like, he found that spot. And he had that spot all to himself for quite some time. Oh, I'm sure he staked it out like a week in advance. <laughs> Did he have a week's warning? Oh, at least a day. I mean, oh, I guess yeah. he would only need like a day because as soon as because it's as soon as everyone else learns that she's coming, they'd like all go for those spots. Yeah, and and did, did I mean not that this is important, but did we ever find out how the rest of the photographers found out about the spot? No, I rumor. I don't know. Hmm. And then this movie, the car crash is implied. Uh, yeah. we don't see the moment. I think we predicted at the end of season five that we did not think that the crown would do that either. It feels a bit much. I, I feel, yeah. yeah. Well, the crown do something similar to what this movie did. Probably. I, I don't know. Cause like, okay, wait, do we mean like they show up until like you see headlight about to hit wall or like violent like, even car like crash? we see her in the car, you know, in the moments before you know oh. they're speeding away. I I I think we'll see her in the car. I don't think we'll see the moment of impact. And and the closest we might get to it is it's silently cutting to black right before the moment of impact, and you know, kind of cutting over to a a scene of somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I think for sure, even if they do show the impact, they probably wouldn't show her afterwards. Like, they might no. not go there. Def- no, no, definitely not. Here we do see, so the final kind of image of the movie is, you know, everybody kind of going to Kensington, leaving flowers. And this includes Dr. Khan, who, you know, brings flowers. He has a moment with one of the staff members. That was one of the, the things that happened in the movie was Khan became, like, semi-friendly with the guards. But, yeah, then he leaves his flowers and... um just huge support for for Diana in this moment. Everybody's showing up. Well, then also, you know, the 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 line of poetry somewhere beyond right and wrong. There is a garden. I will meet you there. Uh, and then there's a narration of Diana repeating that line. Like, okay, I, I'm I'm a pretty cynical person, but like, had this been a really good film, that would have been a very like beautiful and poignant way to end it. Yeah, I agree. It was a really strong image, for sure, of, like, I think there's a difference between seeing, like, the negativity of fame, but then when you see, like, that's, like, so many people really did love her. It's, and to see someone sort of in a sea of that, I thought that was really powerful, but, well. Like, like yeah, a decent final scene (laughs) to an otherwise, like, relatively, I wouldn't say atrocious film, but I wouldn't not say atrocious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, that's pretty much Diana. Did we miss anything here? Um, no. No, definitely I don't think not. so. <laughs> she has four cell phones. That's fun. 
Oh, did you guys notice the part where she broke into his house and cleaned it? Yeah. Did we notice? <laughs> where yeah. I was like, yeah. would that, I mean, that'd be terrible, but also that's kind of useful. Like, if you're going to have a stalker, at least have a stalker who's going to clean. Well, also, like, that guy was living in filth. Like, I, I get yeah. that he works crazy hours and doesn't have much time for, you know, just kind of, like, enjoying himself and upkeep. And he probably has to, you know, kind of concede on a lot of things that deserve attention but dear god like you know his his sink was just like stacked with dirty plates and like i i think even some of like the least cleanly people i've met and like the worst apartments i've seen still don't like create like mountains of dirty di dishes in the sink like that's just a, a cartoonish level of dishevelment <laughs> also he's a surgeon he can afford a housekeeper <laughs> Like a single man living off a surgeon's salary? Are you kidding? No, it's at NHS salary. <laughs> NHS oh, you're right. Never salary, mind. Yeah. Uh, NHS. Yeah. Never mind. That dang American lens. <laughs> he earns roughly uh, the advertising revenue of this podcast. Okay. Well, then. <laughs> Fine. But yeah, you're right. It was very dirty. Actually, the one thing I do want to talk about a little bit was um, just the mechanics of the film in general, like the flash forward in the beginning, and then we go back, and in the beginning, that flash forward is all her from the back, and then when we see the scene again, it's her from the front. I understand what they're trying to do cinematically, but I felt like all the tracking shots were too long. Also, that yeah. weird shot where they're walking down the hallway, and then she turns and, like, breaks the fourth wall, and then the camera, yeah. like, zooms what? backward. What the fuck was that? <laughs> I don't like, know. It was such a bizarre way to start the movie, too. They're trying to do a lot cinematically that I felt like wasn't necessary. Yeah, well, tried is relative. <laughs> I mean, props to that camera worker, I guess. They really got their cardio in that day. All right, shall we, shall we move on? to uh the kinky crown award for diana the 2013 movie yeah what do you got for me sam you go first this week i think carlin yeah went yes. first last time um and no honorable mentions you pick one i mean ivan you kind of stole mine when you mentioned it already but mine is definitely the conversation about how hard our hard operations can go on for eight or nine hours here's the here's the dialogue uh how do you go on you reach a place inside yourself where time has no meaning. You don't perform the operation. The operation performs you. I'd love to feel that. And when it's over, reality is a bit flat. You're very tired. Mm. I bet. Okay, honestly, what I was going to say isn't as good as that. Can I just, like, vote for Sam? No, <laughs> no, 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 oh, oh, no, okay. no, 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 because I don't love Sam, so go oh, ahead. Okay, fine. <laughs> just the part where, like, they're on the date in her apartment and he just goes, like, hot stuff you in the kitchen and I was like, that's the worst flirting, but it was kind of kinky. Stuff you in the kitchen. Uh, and then she's back there microwaving. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Okay. Um, oh, God. I hate both of these. Um, but I will give it to Carlin. Because oh, no. I, like, cause I don't think there was anything kinky about that, you know, operation line. Like, do, do not mistake bad writing for steaminess. I think there was for her. I think she was using it as innuendo. I think he was oblivious to, you know, the way she was interpreting. It his, truly his... was kinkier in The Crown where, like, she was touching. <laughs> where didn't she make him touch her chest while explaining heart surgery? Oh, yes. And, yeah, yeah. that Yeah, that was, like, way more sexually charged than anything in this film. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. Um, okay, so, yeah, I'll give it to Carlin. 
The magistrate right. has ruled. Yeah. Speaking of that cooking scene, did she ask like, "Will this pasta be done in time?" What? Yes. <laughs> Does she not know she, how long it takes to make pasta? She was like, well, "She was I need to so in hours. Where's um? Where's the cook? Now I forgot. It. Where's Darren? D- Darren. Was Darren giving her sticky notes. Yeah. We, right. Um, she had a friend in this movie. What was the friend's name? The she has a friend that Sonya like teaches her something. Yes, yeah, Sonia. Sam, Sam, we're done. We're done here. We're done. <laughs> but like, where's is this? Is Sonia made up or Sonia's not in the crown ever? Like Sonia was there to deliver the Burger King. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, did they get Burger King at the end of Spencer? No, they it, got no, they KFC. got KFC. What is right? <laughs> <laughs> she she's only like one fast food restaurant. Well, you have a favorite for sure. Okay, well, that, I think, takes us to an end here on Diana. Ivan, no more Diana content? Is that where we're at? We, we know what uh, we know. Well, 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 we still have the crown season six, uh, which, you know, presumably will feature some Diana, at least in the early episodes. And then uh, I guess that brings us to what we're going to be talking about in our next episode, which is not uh, shining a spotlight on Diana herself, but certainly uh, about, you know, on the impact that she has on the royal family, because uh, we will be talking about the queen. Yes. Written by Peter Morgan. Peter Morgan, and that'll be the the final film that we will review for this podcast ahead of uh, season six of The Crown later this year. And it's kind of cool because we're going to be finishing off here with a uh, Peter Morgan project that will actually be will actually have depicted events that he is now going to once again adapt for The Crown. So it'll be very interesting to see how the two compare and contrast. But yeah, it'll essentially bring us up to kind of present day within the crown timeline yeah and again that movie starring uh alex jennings as prince charles alex jennings obviously who we know in the crown as david fun times yeah looking forward to it i mean i I have seen this one before years ago and i'm excited because it is actually a really really good film and i feel like it's been a minute since we've reviewed one of those yeah Yeah. this one for sure in contrast to diana 97% 97% score on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. So. Wow. <laughs> That's a big difference. Ivan, you better not be tuning off That's... halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> have, 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 have both of you seen it before? Yeah, but it was so long ago. I have not. You're in for a treat. But I will say, I am excited to die. So I lied last time and Diana was not available on Amazon. I had to like do a free trial of Sundance now to watch it but it looks like this is on paramount oh, plus yeah. currently i think i had the same problem um i was almost able to watch it uh and and i'm gonna actually blow an entire minute's worth of the podcast episode to talk about this <laughs> but um so here in the netherlands we actually still have hbo max oh. not max but the original branding of hbo max and we, on the dutch version of the streaming service you have diana right now but here's the problem even with a VPN, there is now actually like a difference in logging into a Max account versus an HBO Max account. So I thought I could just switch the VPN, access HBO Max, watch Diana. No such luck. Interesting. So you try. So wait, you try to use a VPN to make it seem like you're in the United States, uh, which I routinely do. And in the United, and when you do that, it says that HBO Max does not exist. No, no, no. Sorry. Uh, it's 
I didn't, I actually had to turn my VPN off. I normally have it turned on to an American VPN so I can just access a whole slew of streaming services, but I turned it off so I could access HBO Max, which is still available here in the Netherlands, uh, but it didn't let me because it now requires a completely separate uh, like login system from Max accounts. Interesting. So you also so like, ended- I have a Mac subscription, <laughs> but not an HBO Max subscription. Whereas formerly, I could toggle my VPN and change the library across different HBO Max markets. Ah. Hmm. Honestly, like this is way more enthralling than the film Diana from 2013. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I am excited to dive into the Queen. Um, I have not seen it, but Helen Mirren, Michael Sheen, James Cromwell, Starcast, yeah, mm-hmm. powerhouse performances. You're gonna love it. Yeah. Um, okay, so Ivan, if people want to catch up with you on The Crown, on Diana, on The Queen, where can they do that? You can reach me on one of my four cell phones. <laughs> uh, Carlin, what about you? Um, Twitter, at Carlin Greenwald. Instagram, at Carlin underscore GEE, right. as usual. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung. But the best place to reach us if you have any thoughts, comments, questions about Diana, not the person, the movie, because again, not experts. Uh, or you can find us on Twitter at Crown Around Pod. Um, if you liked this episode, you want to see any of our earlier coverage, or you're looking to get caught up before season six of The Crown, which should premiere sometime in November. I don't think we have a release date yet. I think it's just fall, winter TBD at this point. Yeah, presumably like sometime in November, which I think has been the custom for most Crown seasons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can catch up either at our website, www.paginatedmedia.com or on any platform where podcasts are available. Yeah, we'll see you next time. God save the queen. God, God save, save the queen. The queen.